Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom Sweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, the European Court of Justice decides that Ireland's Marine Casualty Investigation Board is not independent. The lawyer who's pursued the issue for many years responds. I'm very satisfied with the decision because I have been through hell and back trying to explain to the government that our maritime safety framework is broken. And why was the world's first motorboat race staged on the River Lee in Cork? A historian gives us the answer with a history of a national boating club no longer in existence. There was a lot of references to the Motor Yacht Club of Ireland. There was always a boat sitting in the back garden and so we were always aware of that boat. But once I saw all the documentation I suddenly realised that there was a, a much more interesting story to be told. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from Community Radio Yall, CRY 104FM on the East Cork coastline, and bringing together the maritime community and island people bonded by the sea around us. You can contact the programme by email to thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com. And by phone or text to 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Justin Marr and myself will be bringing you on a maritime cruise for the next half hour around this island nation. That Ireland is an island nation is being brought more to public attention, such as by discussion in the Doyle about the coronavirus and regular references to travelling to and from the island. But the national media and journalists in particular still display an ignorance of the importance of the marine, even though not a national newspaper could be printed without ships and seafarers bringing to the island the paper they need. That marine blindness is also reflected by journalists who refer to the new Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Dara Kaliri, who is from Ballina County Mayo, a county bordering on the Atlantic Ocean, as just the Minister for Agriculture. Among those welcoming his appointment is the National Inshore Fishermen's Association, which described him as a man from a coastal constituency that's home to a lot of inshore boats. The European Court of Justice has ruled that the Marine Casualty Investigation Board is not independent of government due to the presence on its board of two civil servants, the Secretary-General of the Department of Transport, under which it operates, and the Chief Surveyor in the Marine Survey Office of the Department, Brian Hogan. The MCIB says that its function is to examine and, if necessary, carry out investigations into all types of marine casualties to or on board Irish-registered vessels worldwide and other vessels in Irish territorial waters and inland waterways. The Department of Climate Action, Communications and Transport is examining the judgment. The court finding was discussed in the Doyle, where Hildegard Norton, who's Minister of State for Transport, said her department is seeking legal advice to address the court findings and the concerns of the EU Commission. 
International maritime lawyer Michael Kingston, whose father Tim died in the Whitty Island Betelgeuse oil tanker explosion 41 years ago, has called for an immediate public inquiry into the Marine Casualty Investigation Board. He's one of the leaders of the Betelgeuse Families Association, and he also wants a Garda inquiry into the board. Since 2014, he's been complaining about issues in the operations of the board, which he sees need to be rectified for the protection of life, the environment and maritime safety. He says he's been to hell and back trying to deal with the issue and has been ignored by the government. Well, the department say that they're taking legal advice, um, urgent legal advice, but there's no real legal advice to take. The European Court of Justice is definitive having asserted the legal position that Ireland's Marine Casualty Investigation Board is fundamentally illegal because department officials have been on the board, um, which is totally contrary to the international um, legal framework which is enshrined in the European Directive. And it's quite straightforward. The board needs to be independent um, from the state. The um, government need to reconstitute the board completely. The chairperson who um, has asserted um, in the Eruptus that it is independent needs to resign for misleading the, the Eruptus. And, and um, we need a board that is independent so that those who are setting Ireland's framework, maritime safety framework, are not sitting on the board because effectively what they've been doing is analysing their own work and making recommendations to themselves, um, and and that is um, fundamentally incorrect. And, and maritime tragedies have not been investigated properly. So we need a totally independent board. And what we actually need is a complete root and branch review of our whole approach to maritime safety. I don't know why they need to seek legal advice. They need to stop wasting money and get on with it urgently. You've been pursuing this now for something like six years or more. Are you satisfied with the decision? I'm very satisfied with the decision because I have been through hell and back trying to explain to the government that our maritime safety framework is broken, totally broken, and it has been. It's a a recurring culture that goes back um, to the time of the Whitty Island disaster, a failure to look at our own regulatory framework, which ultimately was the reason why um, the Whitty Island disaster happened, because we didn't have a proper regulatory enforcement in place. And now Europe have um, declared that our approach is, is fundamentally incorrect. So it's, it's an incredible step forward in the right direction, not just for me and the families of those who suffered in Whitty Island, but for every single person as we speak today who goes anywhere near the sea, of which there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands at the moment around Ireland, enjoying um, a, a bit of freedom following COVID-19 near the coast. And, and they don't know what, what danger they're actually in because we don't have a governance that is protecting them because we, we've, we've completely failed in terms of our approach to maritime safety. So the, to, to be backed up by a judgment of the European Court of Justice is, um, is an incredible day. Obviously, that is a vindication of your views, Michael Kingston. So 
I take it you'll be still following this up and keeping a close eye on it. Oh, I will be um, keeping a very close eye on it, and it, it will be seen through. It's been a long um, struggle, and um, I've met a lot of good people along the way, people like Anne-Marie O'Brien, whose brother, John O'Brien, drowned off Helvig Head um, in 2010 um, with his friend Pat Esmond and their investigation into into their um how they died raised a lot of questions and they fought tooth and nail and Marie O'Brien to try and get something done um, with the assistance of Matty McGrath who tried to get the Marine Casualty Investigation Board amended. We met and then I explained to them the this fundamental breach of European law and um We've, with people like Amory O'Brien, we've we've had a hard struggle, um, and we're not the sort of people that will um, rest until it is sorted out, and and it will be sorted out, and we will achieve a position where we have a proper safety framework in place. Maritime lawyer Michael Kingston, and without doubt there'll be more to be heard about this issue. Let's turn to a bit of history now. The story of what was once one of the biggest marine clubs in the country, the Motor Yacht Club of Ireland. Its story is told in a new book by yachting historian Vincent Delaney. Its impact was short-lived, he says, just 27 years until 1936, when it had all but disappeared. It was founded in 1907, four years after the first motorboat race in the world had taken place on the River Lee in Cork. And though the book is dedicated to the memory of those men in their floating machines, it was a woman who won the first race. Vincent Delaney told Tom the fascinating story of the club, explaining why that first race was held in Cork. It's hard to see the exact reason, but first of all, uh, Alfred Charles Harmsworth presented a trophy. He wanted it to be like the America's Cup for motorboating. So it was to be a championship between one country and another country. And I think if he was going to hold it in England, it wouldn't have the international elements that he was looking for. Now, furthermore, it was held in 1903 in July when there were a lot of other motoring events taking place at the same time. The Gordon Bennett motor car race was happening. There was racing in Cork. There was racing in Tralee for motor cars. And it tied in with that. So I think that that was one of the one of the elements to it. It must have been an extraordinary sight racing those kind of boats up the river towards the city of Cork. Well, they they started from the Royal Cork Yacht Club down in Cove, and they travelled the eight and a half miles up to the bandstand in Tivoli. So that was the race course, and uh, in fact. Not, there weren't an awful lot of competitors. It seems that there were four or five. And uh, the British organizers looked at each of the entries. And all of the French entries, they, they disbanded on the basis that the boats weren't made entirely in France. So all of the French people weren't allowed to compete, which left them with only three competitors. So that was Mr. Thornycroft with a 30-foot boat and a 20-horsepower engine. 
Mr. F. Beadle in a 30-foot boat with a 50-horsepower eight-cylinder engine, and Dorothy Levitt with her 40-foot boat with a 75-horsepower 12-cylinder Napier engine. Now, it was, a, it was a no-brainer that she was going to win it, and she won it by tra- travelling at 19.5 miles an hour, which was an extraordinary speed for motorboating in those days. And I suppose the extraordinary story, too, that without being sexist, a woman actually won it. That was absolutely fantastic. But she was, she was a very adventurous woman. But the other side of it was that her boat was designed by Selwyn Francis Edge, who was a... He, he was competing in the Gordon Bennett race and finished seventh in that race. So he was a very good engineer and understood the motoring world as it was, because it was, it, the motoring world was a new world that everybody was discovering. That's the first story in your fascinating historical account in your book, Vincent, about motorboats and motor sailing. And what's the, what was the motivation for you to put all of this together? It took a lot of research, obviously. It took a lot of research. Uh, my father, Alf Delaney, died in 2006. And when he died, among his affairs, there was a lot of references to the Motor Yacht Club of Ireland. We were aware that he was involved with that club because there was always a boat sitting in the back garden. And so we were always aware of that boat. But once I saw all the documentation, I suddenly realized that there was a, a much more interesting story to be told and also wearing my hat as a member of the Association of Yachting Historians, we put two and two together and said, well, yes, there's enough to make a book out of it. In the UK, the Motor Yacht Club in England was tied in with motoring and cars, whereas in Ireland, the link was very much with yacht clubs and in a few limited locations with actually rowing clubs. The connections nowadays, if it's fair to say, and because it's, it's an area of the, the country I love and have, have boated on it in, in higher boats, is along the Shannon, Vincent. Is that a very strong part of the motorboating fraternity's interest nowadays? Well, nowadays, the Inland Waterways Association is a very strong body who are encouraging people to explore the corners of the Shannon and the corners of the inland waters of Ireland. And so that's, to all intents and purposes, the last remaining element of the Motor Yacht Club of Ireland because speedboat racing per se has kind of fallen by the wayside. It was very strong in the 70s, but there doesn't seem to be much evidence of it nowadays. And from your particular viewpoint, having put this book together... You're still an enthusiast for motorboating? Not so much. Uh, sailing is where my enthusiasm is. The family have a number of motorboats, uh, which we use to camp on during the Shannon regattas. So that's our link today to the motorboats, is, is on the Shannon. And in Lockery Yacht Club, the Motor Yacht Club of Ireland built a clubhouse there which was the only premises that they actually owned. So it was on the grounds of the 
Lockery Yacht Club, and it survived until about 10 years ago when the main clubhouse was being expanded, that the Moore Yacht Club clubhouse had to be taken down to, to make room for it. Having put the book together, Av, may I ask you, is there a particular memory of that period which stands out for you? Um, I, I, I think that the, the biggest thing really was the crowds that turned up for hydroplane racing. Uh, certainly on the Shannon, extraordinary numbers of people turned up for the most exciting thing they'd ever seen. Now, we're talking about the 1920s before electricity had arrived in Athlone or Longford or Carrick-on-Shannon, but yet the new technology of the day produced boats that could travel at over 30 miles an hour, which is extraordinary for people to see. And so they turned up in their thousands to, to see the excitement and to hear the noise, just as people do for a Grand Prix race today. What a grand description. And there are photographs of that and other scenes of the days of the Motor Yacht Club of Ireland in Vincent Delaney's excellent book, recording a most interesting part of Irish maritime history. Now Justin takes a look at maritime news on home and overseas waters. The chairman of the Marine Institute, John Killeen, has been appointed the chair of Lifeboats Ireland. A noted engineer, businessman, national administrator and sailing enthusiast, he's a freeman of Galway City, where he's been involved in many voluntary community activities and was chairman of the Galway Ocean Race Committee when the World Yacht Race was twice in the western capital. The Naval Service vessel has arrested seven fishing vessels so far this year for alleged illegal fishing in Irish waters. The seventh was a German-registered vessel detained by the L.E. William Butler Yates 250 nautical miles northwest of Malin Head in relation to alleged breaches of fishing regulations. IFA Aquaculture has welcomed the Marine Institute's Fish Health Inspection and Monitoring Report for 2018-2019. to It says that Irish aquaculture businesses have a high level of compliance with EU statutory requirements for fish health. The Irish Farmers Association, of which fish farmers are members, says that the aquaculture industry hopes to build a greater understanding of the issues relating to aquatic animal health in Ireland. The RNLI has launched a fundraising campaign called Launch a Memory, in which families can remember their loved ones who have died by putting their names on a lifeboat. The first lifeboat, intended to carry 10,000 names, will be based at Clifton in County Galway. Information on how to include names is on the RNLI website. RNLI.org. And finally, the West African coast has overtaken Southeast Asia as the worst area in the world for piracy and kidnappings at sea. Last year, the number of seafarers kidnapped was 50% more than in 2018. That's according to the latest international report on piracy, which says that piracy is not a historical problem, but a modern one, creating dangerous issues at sea. Galway Atlantiquaria at Salt Hill is Ireland's national aquarium and has a wide-ranging education programme, which recently encouraged young maritime enthusiasts to become marine broadcasters, which I very much endorse. 
The Atlantic Quarry is now involved in connecting Ireland with 10,000 other islanders around the world in the Global Virtual Island Summit, which will be held in September. Dr Noreen Burke is the Aquarium's Director of Education. She grew up on a farm in the inland county of Tipperary. So I asked her, is that a bit unusual that she's in charge of maritime education? Yeah, yeah, I suppose it is really. I like I, I grew up on a farm and I was really lucky that my, my dad is very uh, nature friendly, nature conscious, so we um been very aware of the nature around us. So I always loved nature. And then um the great excitement of when we would actually get to visit the beach. We used to um we used to visit Tremor and as we came over the hill and um, like just the memories are just so powerful and um you know, just as I went through college doing ecology just projects I worked on brought me down kind of the marine road, so to speak, <laughs> and uh, and has led me to where I am now, which I'm very lucky and very grateful for. And you have a wide-ranging programme of education at the Atlantic Aquarium, at the Aquarium in Galway, in Solgill, Noreen. One of the fascinating things that I took notice of was your encouragement to young people to consider marine broadcasting. Yeah, I'm so lucky at the aquarium. All the team are really. Um, uh, Mr. Liam Toomey, who owns the aquarium now, he's very open to us working with other organisations and collaborating. And, you know, so when we were doing the Marine Broadcaster event, it was run with um, Creative Ireland and the National Parks and Wildlife Service. And that was just, it was an incredible opportunity to get, you know, we brought this, project online so that people could get involved with making little short marine videos from home or by the shore depending on their situation where they were located. The scope was really open for children to talk about their feelings, talk about how they felt when they went to the shore, talk about biodiversity. It was a really lovely experience and we got some really nice videos from families and children around Ireland for the event. Did it indicate a lot of interest then amongst young people in the whole maritime sector? I think so. I think it's a really captivating subject. Like I've been working in the area of marine education, kind of both formal and informal now for over 10 years. And there's very few children, and when I say even adults that I've met at events, who aren't interested in some area of the marine. I mean, there's so much scope there. You know, there, there's so many things you can talk about. But children are really interested generally and really fascinated by the incredible ocean we have around Ireland. Another aspect of your work uh, and the one you're very involved in is the IOLN network, which you're providing a lot of secretarial uh, backup for at the aquarium. What's that all about, that network, Noreen? Yeah, so again, really, really lovely experience. Um, the network was formed back in 2016 and the Marine Institute provided you know, a small amount of kind of funding to fund a secretariat to keep the network going. So the network has grown over the last couple of years and we now have over 100 members and over 40 organisations part of it. The Islands Virtual Summit, the second one, this global summit you're involved in now, 
the wonderful thing about the virtual island summit, and it's, it's in the second year running, is that because it's virtual and it's it's done online, so the virtual island summit had 4,000 people attend last year from all around the world, and this year their target is 10,000. It's a free event for people to register and to join in the conversation on. There's going to be teams throughout the week which are looking at the different sustainable development goals, but focused on islands, so sustainable island communities, large islands and small islands for the future. And we're delighted actually that um, one of the first speakers to be announced was Grace O'Sullivan in the European Parliament. Um, there'll be over 100 speakers at the event itself between the 7th and the 13th of September this year. The website is islandinnovation.co. Dr Noreen Burke, Director of Education at Galway Atlantic Waria, which also supports the Irish Ocean Literacy Network that brings together members from a diverse range of backgrounds. And remaining with the islands, we head now to Clue Bay in County Mayo and the island of Inishlaer, from where Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of Cogolil on the Air and the Islands Federation, has the latest news from the Irish offshore islands. For the first time in many years, the Cogolil on Air and AGM was not held on one of the offshore islands. Plans were underway to visit Ardmore for the event, but COVID-19 put a stop to that. The board had to meet via Zoom instead. While we got the business of the AGM done, we really missed meeting with all of our island friends. So next year, we'll really look forward to catching up with everyone. In his comments at the AGM, Chairman Simon Murray noted the frustrations Kogol had encountered over the past year. A lack of progress with policy formation by the department, only last-minute consultation on the lockdown and opening of the islands relative to the COVID pandemic and the subsequent confusion over opening date, the splitting off of the Gaeltacht in the formation of the new government and the inactivity of the Interdepartmental Committee on Islands were a few examples. Some of these delays are the result of the pandemic causing the necessary redirection of government priorities. However, it would be hugely retrograde should the development of an action plan for the islands and the formation of island policies be put on hold indefinitely. All island businesses face economic challenges now and into the future. Kogol has made representations to government, both the previous and newly appointed, to provide supports not only to tourism sector, but to island communities as a whole to increase sustainability and aid in business recovery. As the islands have a particularly vulnerable population, it is requested that all possible supports be given to island medical practitioners and that their opinion is taken into account in all decisions. Regarding economic supports, it is requested that direct and indirect tax rates, including VAT, PAYE, capital gains and commercial rates, be reduced for a period to allow island communities and businesses to recover. Additionally, it is believed that COVID support payments should continue until early 2021 for island businesses unable to open this season. Kogol also urges that COVID support payments be available to seasonal businesses. A recovery fund is also needed to assist in the reopening of businesses because if businesses are allowed to fail, the ultimate cost will be far greater. All offshore islands have seen the number of visitors increase since the unexpected opening of the islands on the 29th of June. 
This has resulted in a mixed response by islanders. Some businesses are delighted to be welcoming tourists, while others are not opening the season at all. Recent rain has eased some of the water supply concerns on Inishmore and Inishir, but increased tourism means increased water demand, and that is a worry. Some have seen such an increase in tourists, the fear of contagion stops them bringing their children to crowded playgrounds and beaches. Inishturk decided as a community to close all accommodation for overnight stays, although their community club is open for food during the day. Tourism is the lifeblood of many islands, and islanders have been welcoming visitors for generations. It is heartbreaking for many that they cannot offer the traditional island welcome, and tourist providers are working very hard to provide a safe experience for those that visit. By behaving as safely as possible now while anticipating a vaccine, islanders cautiously anticipate a brighter future. So it's Slán from the islands for now. Rhoda Twombly and the Irish Islands, one of which Cape Clear and West Cork, the southernmost island of all, tells us that its island distillery has been extremely hard hit by the collapse in the pub, hotel and duty-free trades due to COVID-19. But showing innovation and agility, it has become the first and it says only distillery in Ireland to offer its gin in engraved and personalised bottles with the nautical labels of the Fastnet, the Beacon for nearby Baltimore and the Clara. Always good for developing ideas and Clara to say. We hope you've enjoyed your maritime visit with us. Justin Marr was also in charge of sound supervision and we both thank you for your company. This Island Nation is also broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South. On Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio. In Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. Radio Corkabashkeen in Clare. Kilkenny City Radio, West Limerick 102 FM. In Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmullet. Cork City Radio, West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island on Apple Podcasts and podcasts on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and the marinetimes.ie. Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. The programme email address is thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com. Phone or text 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Your comments and contributions are always most welcome. Until our next programme, from Justin Marr and from me, Tom McSweeney, our usual wish of fair sailing.